continue our look at carriers of the heart by focusing in on serving and of the value of serving and I get here's what I want you to know I get during this talk there could be a few yeah but moments I get that uh, there's a question card if you want to ask a question you can you can do that and we'll do our best or I'll do my best to answer it um, but I want you to know that what we're going to talk about today not like I'm not other weeks but I'm particularly passionate about it both because of what scripture teaches Second of all, my own personal experience, and truthfully and honestly, uh, because of my own failures along the way, that I didn't learn this and I didn't heed this, what we're going to talk about in some instances, and it created pain for the people that I was under, and it created pain probably in my, not probably, but it created pain in my own life, unnecessary pain. And so when we talk about serving, today we're going to talk about how you and I sometimes, by God, are placed under a shadow to serve. That that's where God places us intentionally to grow our capacity, to grow our character, to develop us for something in the future that we can't see in the present. And that's what we want to talk about. When we talk about serving, here's what we're, here's what we're diving into, is we serve God by serving others. Everyone say, by serving others. So you can't, you and I can't just say, hey, I serve God. We have to also serve one another. It can't just be only an ethereal thing. It's a person-to-person thing. It gets really practical. So we serve God by serving others wholeheartedly. And then our service positions us to best see others. That was week one. We care about people first before we think about what they can offer. And so whatever field that we're in, we don't see people as products. We see people as people. And we endeavor to look for the best in each other, which is not easy. And oftentimes that we need to see people through the way Jesus sees them, not the way we see them in a moment. So that's hard for all of us in times and seasons. Now, in Christ, all of us are under God's shadow. All right. The scripture says, the psalmist says in Psalm 91, verses 1 to 2, here's what he says. He who dwells, or she, just personalize it, they who dwell in. Everybody say in. You notice that word. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in, there it is again, the shadow of the Almighty. Next one. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress. So he who abides in, he who abides in, then it gets personal. I will say to the Lord, my refuge, my fortress, my God, there it is again, in, everyone say in, in whom I trust. And so trust, if we reverse this scripture that we just read, trust is learning to abide in the place where God has positioned you. Trust is learning to abide in the place where God has positioned you, in whom I trust. Trust, again, is this learning to abide. It's in the language of this psalm is in or under the covering of this shadow of the Almighty. It talks about a shelter and a fortress and a refuge. All of those things are a secure defense in our lives when we take refuge in Him. When we take refuge in Him. So the language of the psalmist is talking about covering. When the scripture talks about covering, it's talking about authority. Authority is not meant to be controlling. It is meant to be covering. Okay, it's meant to be covering. The truth of it is that we all serve as followers of Jesus under the shadow of God. 
And the scriptures are full of people who didn't live their lives under or in a spotlight, but they lived under a shadow. For every Joshua, there's a Caleb. For every Esther, there's a Mordecai. For every David, there's a Jonathan. In other words, for every spotlight, there is a spotlighted person. There is someone serving in the shadows. Pause. You and I live in this thing called a meritocracy where everything we get is based on merit. Everything oftentimes is ladders and progression and getting higher and moving up the chain and doing all of those things. And the challenge with living in a culture that is based on a meritocracy is the gospel is the antithesis to that culture. Where you and I, again, there's nothing in the gospel that says you earn, you do. No, no, no. It's not about that. It's this gracious gift that we receive. And so we swim in both of these waters. And both of these waters can get very confusing within our own soul. And where this sometimes can surface is where God places you to learn, to grow, to develop your capacity. And when I talk about spotlight, I'm not talking about a stage, nor am I talking about speaking under lights. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about when I use the word spotlight is there are times and seasons and appointed times when your life will come into a space where it will be measured. That could be as a husband or a wife. That could be as a parent. That could be that you once attended a life group and now you lead a life group. Okay? It could be in a variety of different places. I'm not talking about stages and spotlights and talking. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is sometimes God moves your life out of the shadows and into the spotlight where it can be measured. Everyone say measured. Measured, again, is the language of meritocracy. Have you noticed how much in our life is measured? Again, there's a beautiful book that you can pick up called Secularosity. The premise of the book is essentially this. That although most Canadians sleep in on Sunday, not you because you're amazing, but most Canadians sleep in on Sunday mornings and they don't go to church, we are as pious as we have ever been. The only thing that we have done is shifted our religious or religiosity away from the church to other things. Technology is huge. Let me give you an example about being measured. Anybody here, but no shame here at all, but anybody here have a Fitbit? Can I see your hand? You have a Fitbit, Apple Watch? Anybody have an Apple Watch? Anybody? Any, okay. Do you remember a time when you used to just live your day and you didn't have any idea how many steps you took? <laughs> now everything is measured. So yesterday is my day off. It is. And my watch says to me in the middle of the day, hey, you took a lot less, you're taking a lot less steps today. Why don't you get moving? And I rebuked it in the name of Jesus. <laughs> For a smart watch, you're pretty stupid. Why? Because it doesn't value Sabbath and rest. And it's measuring everything I do. And this little piece of technology in a moment was saying on a Saturday when I'm trying to take less steps, you're not enough right now. In Jesus' name, no way. <laughs> everything is measured. Likes you put something out on social media. It used to be, kids, listen to me. It used to be you could share your opinion 
and people just ignored you. Because <laughs> your opinion was terrible. Not you, but you know, you know the ones. Now it's like you share an opinion and it's like you just wait. Who's going to like my opinion? Who's going to like my opinion? Nobody liked my opinion. Nope. I'm going to say it then even louder. Oh, now some people like my opinion. Now I'm going to say it even louder. And every day we're outraged about everything. Everything we're outraged. Because everything is measured. Everything is measured. You don't think the world is more pious? Say something on social media the wrong way. I'm not stepping into Don Cherry or the social this morning. That's not what I'm doing. I'm just saying, I'm not stepping into it at all. I'm not touching it at all. I'm not touching it at all. I'm just saying. Okay, I don't think he was right. Oh, forget it. I'm not touching it at all. I'm just simply saying. We live in this weird culture. Everything is measured. And when everything is measured, we have no value for hiddenness and stillness and shadow. And if we have no value for hiddenness, stillness, and shadows, then we will continue to produce inferior leaders because that's where God grows them and develops them. God will grow you most with no likes. God will grow you most on the backside of the desert where no one wants to hear your opinion. He will form and he will shape your character in these places. But you and I live in a culture now that wants instant validation, instant spotlight. And here in love, what I want you to know from the word of God is the spotlight that you may seek may destroy your life. And God in his love and providence will say no and he will put you under somebody to learn and to grow. Even Jesus himself, the scriptures are very clear, fully God, fully man, says all things were entrusted into him. And yet Jesus said, I only do that which I see the Father doing. So not only was he under authority, but he did it from a place of being covered by his Father, even though all things were in his hand. He said, no, 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 I'm just going to do what I see my Father doing. It was this beautiful picture of relationship, but also the understanding of authority. Church, the demonic runs rampant when we, as followers of Christ, don't understand authority. Is there any reason why, as a culture, we kick and we push all against it? It is a spirit loosed within an age in which we live where everybody is self-autonomous, self-defined, and tries to power up, and the devastating effects are all around us if we have the courage to open our eyes to see it. Okay, I'm a little passionate about this one. In the New Testament, we, I'm going to put my uh, demonic device back on. <laughs> I kid, I kid. Sort of. In the New Testament, we see the heart, it, because it's telling me when I need to stop talking. That's why I put it back on. In the New Testament, everything's measured. Uh, we see the heart of this. In, we see the heart of this encapsulated in a single phrase expressed by John the Baptist, who is uh, baptizing when he baptizes Jesus. Here's what he says. When when John sees Jesus, he says, "He must increase, and I must." Oh. <laughs> Wow. A wise pastor once said, our servant's heart is always revealed when someone treats us as one. 
John Bloom once said, John, the Baptist, doesn't view those with less visible roles as less significant, nor does he covet more visible roles as more significant. He seeks to steward, everyone say to steward, he seeks to steward the role he's received as best he can and gladly leaves the role assignments to God. So when John sees Jesus, John is in the height of his ministry, baptizing people. They're all coming to him. And he's a human being like you and I, and that feels good. But then he sees Jesus, and he says, oh, oh, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. And he says, no, I have to, I have to decrease because he has to increase. What is John saying in this moment? No, 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 no. We're a, he's foreshadowing. We're a body that can work together, or it can be all about a competition between me and Jesus. No, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come under because that's my assignment. He recognizes it. Here's, here's what John understood. John answered and said this, a person cannot receive even one thing unless, everyone say unless, it is given to him from heaven. What a revelation that is. If I took you back into October where we're talking about God owns everything and we're called to be stewards, it doesn't end with our finances. It's also included in how we live our lives, where God puts us and positions us and how he does that for our benefit. John understands three things that each of us need to embrace as servants. That God uses serving to help us understand anointing, assignment, and authority. God uses serving. He uses this value of service, of serving, to help you and I understand anointing, assignment, and authority. Anointing, as we learned during our revival nights in August, for those of you who are new to Life Center, since then, we had a series of meetings where this is one of the topics. That's all I'm referencing. Anointing, again, we learned during the summer, was this special scented oil that was poured on you. So we just anointed some of you with oil. So we just dip it on of our fingers and we just put it on your head. Um, but that's not how they did it in the scriptures. How they did it in the scriptures, it was, it was a special scent and fragrance in a bottle that they would pour over your head. So it just would soak through everything. Turn the person beside you and say, I don't like that very much. <laughs> like it would soak into your shoes. And here's what would happen if when you were anointed in the, in the scriptures, the Old Testament in particular is you would walk into a room and there'd be a fragrance on you because of what has just been poured all over you that would be undeniable to everyone around you. So the one who was anointed did not have to walk into a room saying, excuse me, the anointed one is here. <laughs> just wanted you all to know. The anointed one has arrived. The party can commence. Didn't have to do that. And in 2019, when Jesus anoints your life, we don't have to do that. I got to tell everyone, no, you don't. You know, you don't. Well, if I don't, no one's going to know. Your father knows. And he knows how to open doors and he knows how to close doors. And you don't want to go through the doors that he doesn't open, but you open for yourself. You don't. It's not about 
It's not about self-promotion. It is about stewarding what God has given you and letting him increase. See, this is a different kingdom to the kingdom of our culture. But it was unique and it was undeniable that you had been anointed. Now remember, in the New Testament, again, this is within the context of a singular body, but anoint means that you're set apart, that you're authorized, that you're equipped for a divine task of spiritual importance. In the New Testament, anointing accomplishes a few things in our lives. In 2 Corinthians and 1 John, we can see that it equips and that it authorizes, that there is significant. It does make a difference in our lives, and it enables you to stand firm. Everyone say, stand firm. It enables you, this anointing, to stand firm, and it guards you against falsehood. That's what the Scripture speaks about, that, again, when things are said about you that aren't true, that you can rest. If they are not true, you can rest in the truth of what God knows. That you don't have to wrestle and squirm against it. You don't always have to defend everything that is said. That you can rest in this place. Proverbs chapter 18 verse 16 says that a man or a person's gift makes room for them. That you don't have to make room. That is God who does this. And John, the Baptist who we're reading about, he understands his anointing. He understands his assignment. And ultimately he understands his authority. So when he sees Jesus... It is nothing for him to shift assignments because he understands and he is submitted to it and he's trusting in it. But if it's all about him, if it's all about self-promotion, if it's all about me, 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 then that would have been a very difficult, very difficult moment. Here's something that I find fascinating. Is when you're under authority whatever sphere that looks like in our lives, in your life. Did you know that God will often allow you to see something before he invites you to step somewhere? And this I know from firsthand failure. God will often, when he is growing and grooming you to grow as a leader, to take a step into the future, he will oftentimes and sometimes allow you to see something So that you can stay under authority and grow your capacity where one day he'll say yes for you to step into that place. He'll allow you to see it before he lets you step into it. Because in that moment, the test is, are you going to rely on your sight, your gifting, your wisdom, all that you see? Or are you going to, in that moment, though what you see is correct and may need to change, may need to adjust, may need to shift, whatever it happens to be. You can see it, but are you going to trust that God is going to give you an appointed time and influence to step into that moment? Or again, are you going to push through every door yourself? Are you going to stay under authority or are you going to push into it? It is the test of being, and I'm not talking about abusive leadership, none of those things. I'm not talking about where there's abuse and maybe at work it's a whistleblower. I'm not talking about those things. I'm talking about general formation and character in our hearts and lives. Being put under a place of authority. So that God can grow us in our hearts and lives. Prepare us for what it is that is coming down the road. For me, I saw some things and didn't understand. So I spoke often and it caused in even our own church leadership team for my parents and others. Caused pain, caused friction. This goes back a number of years.
here's what I understood. And here's what you, some of you, will understand. Sometimes it's not what you're seeing that is incorrectly, but it is understanding that when God taps you on the shoulder and asks you to step into that, the weight of what you're called to carry means that you can still see it clearly, but you see how to handle it differently that you can't see without the weight. Let me give you a perfect example. Anybody here have perfect parents? Anybody here growing up say, man, when I'm a parent, I'd never do X, Y, or Z. Again, I'm not talking about abusive things. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking just within the realm of normalcy. And then perhaps God gave you the gift of being a parent. And you saw differently because you had the weight of a life. That when you didn't have the weight of a life, when you just were that life, and all you wanted to do was go party, my parents are such jerks, man. They're so unfair. I got to get home at 12.30. Like, our, our kids are awesome, but I don't think they understand curfew at all. Hey, you know, we get texts all the time. God bless them. Hey, Lord, God bless them. Hey, not, not sure we're going to make curfew. Not sure it's a thing that's maybe. Maybe as a teenager, maybe you can see what your parents couldn't do. But again, you didn't have the weight. And it changes things. So sometimes when God is going to grow you, he's going to put you under authority. <laughs> oh, 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 and you're going to get put under some awesome people. <laughs> oh, are you going to be gifted by who God puts you under sometimes? There's a story in the Old Testament that I love with an uncle by the name of Mordecai and a woman by the name of Esther. In a paraphrase, the book of Esther tells how a Jewish girl became the queen of Persia and saved her people from a plot to destroy them, from a genocide. That is a very quick telling of the book of Esther. The book of Esther is a fascinating book because in this book, God's name is not mentioned one time, yet he is fully present everywhere within it. Which is a lesson to some of us that when we think God isn't present, he is. Before Esther can see what's happening, her uncle Mordecai first sees. There's another character in the book of Esther and his name is Haman. Haman hates Mordecai, hates Jewish people. And Mordecai sees what is occurring. And Mordecai has this moment. He has his own assignment. And Mordecai best serves his people by learning how to serve Esther. The book is titled Esther. But she's not the hero of the book. There is one who is serving her in the book that is significant. 
In Esther chapter 4, verse 14, there is this penultimate moment within it where it says, if you keep silent, this is Mordecai now talking to Esther, bringing a challenge. If you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. That's his faith. But this is what he says. But you and your father's house will perish. And then here's the line. It is the zinger line. For those of you new to church, this is the Jerry Maguire, you complete me moment of Esther, okay? which is the worst line probably in the history of movies because nobody can complete you, but that's a gospel story for another day. <laughs> Esther 4, verse 14. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. It is this moment, not where Esther sees everything, where God has somebody under who doesn't step out and say, Esther, you're doing a cruddy job here. I'm going to do it. No, no. He serves her by saying and challenging her in this moment, see why God has put you there. As a source of encouragement, as a source of heart, but also a source of take courage within your own heart. He is under. And because he is under, he is able to serve in a way that she can't yet see in this moment. When we live in a meritocracy, it's always about getting here in the kingdom. It has nothing to do with here or here. It is being faithful with wherever God has positioned you. It's a different culture in which we live. Esther, again, is the new queen. Has something Mordecai, though, does not have. She has influence with the king. She's in the spotlight and he is in the shadow. But again, the shadow is not a place of diminishment. It is a place of divine assignment. Because sometimes the greatest thing you do isn't a something, it's a someone. It is pouring into, investing into a, sometime, a someone. That's what Caleb understood serving Joshua. That is what Jonathan, the son of King Saul, understood by serving David. You know, immaturity is when you and I see something and then we just say it, we just do it, we just tweet it, we just criticize it. But maturity, growing as followers of Jesus, maturity doesn't mean you don't see it. Maturity means before I say it, tweet it, Instagram it, Snapchat it, TikTok it, whatever else has come out in the last week, I don't know. But before I do those things, not that I don't see it. But God, what do you want me to do before I say it, before I step into it, I'm going to pray about it. God, what would you have me do? I have, had, I have seen things and in my immaturity said them. And then I've learned a bit along the way that now sometimes when I see, and I see things, I go to prayer. God, what do you want me to say? What do you want me to do? And you know what he does eight times out of ten? Says, say nothing, but talk to me about it every single day. And here's what that does. This goes right back to Psalm 91. He who abides in the shelter of the Almighty. Right? In, in, in. Do I trust that God knows how to speak to people? Or do I believe that I'm the mouthpiece of God everywhere I go? Can I trust that prayer actually works? Can I trust that intercession is powerful? Can I trust that sometimes talking to God is me doing my duty and diligence? And sometimes, yeah, you learn how to speak up. Some of you are working really hard. I'm not, again, I'm not talking about abusive. I'm not talking about any of those things. I'm just talking about some of you are working really hard to get out of a leader, get out of an under a leader, or maybe at work, wherever it happens to be. You're trying to get out from under that person's leadership. Some of you are working really hard to get out from under a leader that God has divinely put you under. Why? 
Because sometimes you can learn in the future that when God taps you on the shoulder and gives you leadership, sometimes you can learn how best not to lead. What it looks like. I had some amazing leaders. I've had a job since I was 13 years old. And I walked to snow, school in the snow up to here with no boots. Not even socks. In my day, when I was in grade one, we walked to school alone. Did you know one time me and my friends got hit by a snowplow? Not the metal part of it, but the snow that shoved all of it. The snow guy did it on purpose, and we thought it was awesome. <laughs> Knocked a smack into a ditch. We were like, woo, do it again. Now it would have been CTV news. That guy would have been fired. I would have been in therapy. He bullied me. We were, we were begging him, like, circle back, do it again. The snow hits us. He's like, meh, meh. And then there's no Hong Kong, but he, he, mm, whatever. I don't know. We were just like, yeah. Because that's what it was in my day. <laughs> okay. I'm not saying that was okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm not. I'm saying it was awesome. Oh, rub some dirt on it. You're good. It was a blast. If you've never been hit by a snowplow, like, again, not the metal part. That's no good. But the snow, that's very dangerous. Yeah, I know, but it was awesome. Sometimes you have to have a little danger to have a little fun. When your kids are learning a two-wheeler, what if I fall? It's going to hurt. But guess what? Life hurts. I know. It hurts sometimes. Okay, that has nothing to do with what we're talking about. <laughs> but sometimes God will put you under someone. And your heart's going to get all wound with criticism. And you may be able to see but it's not what you can see in that moment. It's the size of what God is growing you on the inside that he's working on. And in that place, can you still serve? Again, I'm not talking about abusive leadership. I'm just talking about not great. Do you know it's not a sin to do things the wrong way? Don't, okay, some of this is you. This is a word from Jesus for you. It's not a sin for things not to be done your way. Amen. Don't like elbow someone in the moment. I even told you that. <laughs> it's not a sin. It's not a sin for things not to be done your way. There's more than one way to do something. And the person who God has put you under may not yet be that there yet. He who abides in the shadow of the Almighty trusts. You have two choices. Do I come outside of the covering and be critical and do all those things? Or God, do I stay under and allow you to grow me? Am I learning something about life and leadership that one day maybe you may tap me on the shoulder and now my life may be measured by people under me? <laughs> 
joy and privilege this is. Some of you maybe who are younger, in love, I say this with my whole heart, when somebody who's in authority says no to you, that is not hate speech. That is love sometimes. And they may not be saying, no, you don't have the capacity to do it. They may be saying, no, you don't have the character to hold it, the weight of what that is yet. But I see it, but I'm going to walk. Because again, the goal is never the spotlight, nor is it the shadow. The goal is simply stewardship. It's being faithful to serve where God places you. Here's what I think is huge. If God wants you somewhere, he can get you there. One 30-second story and then gift for kids. One day, I was sitting in my office, as one does in their office, and I received a phone call. And the phone call was from somebody that I knew, and they said, could you facilitate a wedding? And thought to my head, not really, no, no, no thanks. I said, well, sure. And so they gave me the... Because <laughs> I'm a people pleaser. No, I kid. So I said, sure, I'll do it. Okay, let's do it. They gave me the name of the person, and then I called them. And I talked to this person, and I said, well, you will do a rehearsal at the church this time. And they said, no, we, we can't do that. Okay, well, where, where do you want to get married? And they gave me the address, and I thought, that's, that's odd. At this time, it turned out this was one of the best friends of our former prime minister, Stephen Harper. And the wedding was going to take place in the prime minister's office at the time. So I didn't really, that's why when I was saying, hey, do you want to do a rehearsal? They're like, well, we have to do a security sweep. We've got to make sure. And I was like, what in the world? It's just a wedding, right? <laughs> so I got brought in and it was, you know, um, soon to be groom and bride, and matron of honor and best man, Prime Minister Harper. So I thought it was funny to make a joke. Hey, this is only one time. Like, my, I'm the officiant here, not you. <laughs> Dearly beloved, we're gathered here right, really quick. <laughs> so I officiated the wedding, and, you know, Prime Minister, could you sign here? You know, sign here. Great. And I walked out, and I, you know, walk to my car. Do you validate? No. Okay, thank you very much. <laughs> Didn't even get paid to do it. Anyways, walked out to my car and the Lord interrupted me in my heart. He said, I can open doors and position you whenever and wherever I want. You don't knock on doors, you let me open doors. Church, stay under authority. And trust God to open doors. Learn to lead and serve in the shadow. And don't always be too quick to look for the spotlight. Let God grow you and develop you. 
so that when the spotlight comes, wherever your life is positioned, where it's measured, that you and I can have the characters to sustain what it is that he desires to do. Because Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, he, God, rewards those who seek him. Thank you.